0: Everybody, this is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined as always by the the ever wonderful Mister Jason Johnston Yellen. All right, you're just. Sitting I heard around. you keeping yeah. it simple
1: there. That was good. That was impressive. I did. You know why? Keep be- it
0: simple. I, I couldn't. I'm still waking up, so I couldn't really think of something like witty, and and I didn't take a shower yet, um, so I didn't have shower time to to think of something. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm I'm deeply honored that you think of me in the shower. Thank you. Just for
0: about 17 seconds and then and then we're done.
1: That's all it takes to come up with a nickname?
0: That's all it takes to come up with a nickname. Let me say this. Mm.
1: Since we're in the intro. See since you introd me as lover of sandwiches, which 100% true, 100%. <laughs> yeah, Do you know I, the I number of people? The yeah. Number of people asking me sandwich follow-ups? It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. I've I've said this for years about myself. I've never been particularly good with the small talk. I, I often get kind of nervous and I fill in gaps and, and you know that about me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when someone wants to talk sandwiches and
0: bread and fillings, you've got me. I am all in. I am sold on that. Right. and And I think that I feel as if I've given you a life tool, Jason, because you're not good with the small talk. <laughs> But <laughs> but you are so in love with the sandwiches and the uh, you know a discussion surrounding sandwiches is nothing right there there's nothing there's really no substance there but you can talk about it at length and how and- dare you say there's no substance there? <laughs> how dare you how dare you Well,
1: I I tell you, you you start off with mayonnaise or no mayonnaise, all right? And you can get a a quick bead on a person depending on their answer there, because people who put mayonnaise in sandwiches are clearly monsters. So, but
0: but they can throw you a curveball and and say salad dressing or say Miracle Whip, right? Which I Miracle Whip no, I'm leaving the conversation if you say Miracle
1: Whip. Miracle Whip is. I think that's a straight-up petroleum product that is a byproduct of producing gasoline in the United
0: States. Growing up, I hated mayonnaise. Unless it was on, and we've talked about this before, my mother used to make me some (laughs) roast beef and mayonnaise sandwiches, which sounds disgusting. But when I found Miracle Whip, it was... (gasps) (laughs) Now, we're we're talking, Jason, you have to understand, we're talking fourth-grade... To maybe seventh grade, somewhere in there. And it was a revelation for me. There's a sweetness to it, which helped me overcome that sort of nah, nah, texture of the, uh, of the miracle whip.
1: Here's the, here's the million dollar question. Yep. Given that you're talking fourth grade to seventh, so you're talking about nine years old to about 11, 12 years old. Sure. Did you ever eat the miracle whip?
0: straight from the jar with a spoon I have not done that I have however licked the knife after spreading it <laughs> on my sourdough uh, on my sourdough bread
1: yeah so for for all of our our UK and and Commonwealth listeners salad cream my man salad cream that was the stuff of of dreams when when we were that age off the spoon that was um i i will be honest with you i have consumed salad cream straight here's the thing though the cream is is a misnomer if you're thinking of something white creamy and fluffy uh like marshmallow fluff that's not salad cream it's much more of a of just a
0: creamy dressing uh, um more watery than than a mayonnaise closer to like a a ranch. Yeah, yeah like a like a thinner, like, like a thinner yeah.
1: mayonnaise, yeah. Okay. Okay. And yeah, consistency of a ranch. Okay. So okay. yeah, salad salad cream was mental. That was always in the house. And I, I think I've I've probably said everything I know in the world on this podcast at some point now we're into season six. But my <laughs> my dad my dad was always a meat and potatoes guy. And I remember in the summers, we would have for dinner, we would have cold meat mm. with salad and chips french fries Ooh. on the side of that and you could just put salad cream over all of that oh, and man. it was remarkable really remarkable
0: i seem to recall vincent vega talking with jewels in a car in pulp fiction <laughs> about french fries and what the french put on the french fries and man they, they dip it in that shit what do you, what do you say you know what they put on the French fries in France and Belgium? What do they put? Mayonnaise. Oh, damn. Yeah, they love it. Shit. They're, oh, I forget. Where'd what you, you said. get? Where'd you get Belgium from? They don't reference Belgium. Oh, not Belgium. Amsterdam. That's it. It's Amsterdam. <laughs> I don't know why I said Belgium. Belgium.
1: You know. You know what they dip their Belgian chocolates in? You know, mayonnaise. <laughs> mayonnaise. <laughs> I don't even know what that accent is. I don't Just know. No chuckle. one knows
0: what that accent is. But right now, nobody knows what that accent driving is. Driving off the side of the road, the fact that I said Belgium somebody asked me, in Amsterdam.
1: Somebody asked me the other day, mm-hmm. what do you think of Mike Myers' Scottish accents? Oh. And I said, as somebody who struggles every day with his own Scottish accent, I love Mike Myers' accent. I absolutely love it. I, Fat bastard. Stuart from
0: So I Married an Axe Murderer. Just brilliant. I've heard you try to do a Scottish accent and it's <laughs> terrible. It's remarkable. I just bad.
1: don't have one. Yeah, I just don't have it. I also love people who do groundskeeper willy impersonations. Like that's that's a sound that I can't make come out my mouth.
0: So you don't get get all upset with the with the appropriation with the you're making fun of my my people kind of thing. No,
1: because it's a it's a it's a stereotypical accent, mm. right? You'd, you'd be hard pressed to go to Scotland. I'm not saying they don't exist, but you'd be hard pressed to go to Scotland and meet someone who actually sounds like groundskeeper <laughs> Willie or actually sounds like Stuart from So I Married an Axe Murderer. But but as a caricature of an accent. I think it's a. I think it's fun. Like I, I don't think, it, I don't think it works for us. Uh, for us oh, middle-aged white fellas to be doing our best Apu impersonation. No, I think that's that's that ship point. has sailed. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think Scotland, I think Ireland are still still on the table. So I still think there's fun to be had
0: there. So you're saying a cartoonish accent, of a stereotypical cartoonish accent, is okay. Of oh, a white guy, yes. A guy. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fill in those ellipses for you, you know? <laughs> oh, Jason, I'm just back from my trip to Bermuda. A nice rainy, windy, blowy time.
1: Who is it that sang the song?
0: Do boo is one of those words Bermuda? Oh, Bermuda, Bahama, come on, pretty mama, Key That's Largo, Montego, hmm ooh, something we go. Swanana. Wow. It's yeah, it is it's the Beach Boys without Brian Wilson, aka pure fucking trash. Um, <laughs> You know, but hey, it, it made the 80s well, The pop mayonnaise along. of the Beach Boys years. <laughs> the total mayonnaise of the Beach Boys years. Yeah, rough stuff. Just pure pop garbage. So it sounds like you would have
1: been sunning yourself on a deck, swimming in, a, in an open pool, just covering yourself in the SPF 50. Did all of those things happen on this cruise of yours?
0: I would say one hundred percent, zero percent of that happened. <laughs> That's a shame. That's a bit of a. You've you've come back uh, with a little rust coating. That's it's not a tan. You rusted. No, I just I, I got I just admit a bit. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Oh, you took my joke. God damn it! <laughs> this is what I get for only listening twenty five percent. Oh, Jason,
1: I remember I remember when you used to listen fifty percent. i'm I'm actually getting adjusted to this twenty five percent world. you like it. I'm yet? starting to read your eyeballs like, this is only twenty five percent. This is only twenty five percent.
0: but but I'm back. <laughs> I'm happy to be back. and And I'm excited for a few things. I'm excited for the guests that we have today, Samara B. Davis. And I'm excited for a little game that we're going to be playing a little later, uh, courtesy of our friends at Blind Barrels, who, you know, listeners would have heard his name many times in the past. Uh, Seabass, Christopher Sebastian, or or you'd say Christopher Sebastian, uh, is is a part of. And uh, so we're going to be doing a little game with something they've sent to us a little later after our interview with Samara. So I'm excited for all that. Indeed. Indeed. Do you have some oil for this tin man? (laughs) Is that
1: what you're doing over there to the
0: tin man? (laughs) It's always the tin man with you. (laughs) Uh, Listen, before we go into our conversation with Samara, is there anything that you wanted to mention?
1: I, I will say... Extra, extra is starting to take on a little life of its own where, and, and I think it's only a reflection of the whiskey industry moving under our feet in 2022. Okay. But the the feedback that we're starting to receive on the investment side of the business, mm-hmm. the feedback we receive talking about the independent bottling side of the business, mm-hmm. And the feedback we've received in just briefly talking about NFTs. Yeah. Like these are these are independent bottling has obviously been around for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for a hell of a long time. NFTs, new to the scene, mm-hmm. taking advantage of, of new technologies. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's hard for me to get these words out. And, and then this, this modern investment scheme revolving around casts yeah, and this, yeah, this yeah. kind of the shape that it's currently taking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to me, the people who listen to our podcast, the people who follow Single Cast Nation, are for the most part people excited by whiskey liquid in a bottle being opened being shared being experienced
0: among friends not being in singapore having to burn a token to receive it a month later yes go on continue <laughs> those are words and so and so so that that part's
1: interesting for me and so in looking at where we're at as an industry and and you know the, the question that for a long time we've ended the podcast with uh, with our guests or or ended an interview with our guests with what are you most excited about mm-hmm. as you kind of look forward is a way to always celebrate the best of this industry, and it's been interesting with some of the the extra extra areas of focus mm-hmm. where to our minds to our sensibilities we're not necessarily presenting the best of the industry mm. and the best side of the future of this industry. If the future of this industry is NFTs, then I think we and our a lot of our listeners and a lot of our, our nation friends
0: might be upset. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think... <laughs> I think we're looking at a blip in time. I, I think like if we're talking NFTs specifically, I think it's become a thing. It will likely remain a thing, but to be the thing, to become what whiskey is about, I, I don't think so. I think it will remain a smaller segment. It may grow, but I think it will remain hopefully a smaller Segment. As you talk about it being a blip, do you think it'll
1: be a Beanie Baby-sized blip on the the whiskey industry
0: radar? I hope it's more a Furby blip, right? The Beanie Babies went on for a few years, but Furbies were just the one year. Or the Bell's decanters <laughs> of the 21st century. <laughs> I feel bad for all of those people who Real spent bad. so much money on Bell's decanters. Real bad. <sighs> yep. You couldn't pay somebody to come to your house to take them away now. Right. Have you, uh, just Put, a, really quickly, just out of curiosity, have you ever had any of the Bell's liquid that was in a Bell's decanter? Was it just standard Bell's blend? Was it something that was unique for the decanters? Do you even recall? Nope. you don't. I know nothing about them aside from...
1: Some people invested real heavily in them. They were like the Scottish Beanie Babies. Had had rooms full of them and thought, this is my retirement. This is it. Just like the Beanie Babies. (sighs) So, yeah, it's it's another one of those tough things though, right? When you see something blowing up and you think, oh, I'm going to go get a part of this. Mm. You're not the only person having that thought. Mm. And so a lot of people are buying those things for investment. They're buying the toys and never taking them out their packs. Yeah. But, but the value that ever accrued was because so... And I'm, I don't know why I'm not saying it out loud. I'm thinking about Star Wars Star Wars toys here. Easy, easy. No, the, the, the reason that some of those accrued value is because kids were buying them ripping them from their packaging Uh, and playing with them and then somebody comes along and says actually i found this unopened luke skywalker in the back of a cupboard i'd hidden it for you know an upcoming birthday and forgot about it for 30 years and folk go i would like to purchase that from you when they then re-release star wars toys and folk go buy them and store them in their cupboards. And they're not worth it. Baseball cards, are yeah. the exact yep. same thing, yep. right? So, yep. Kind anyway, we're not. The, the, the point wasn't to, to rehash old territory. It was just to say it's been interesting to me that Extra Extra is starting to get some feedback reflecting some general uneasiness with some
0: places the industry well, is going. I, I'll tell you. I like that you bring this up because it makes me think of the thing I hate about news in general the most, and that it's always focused on the negative, right? That's so easy. It's low-hanging fruit to focus on the negative and and the the negative what-ifs. So with that in mind, as we're looking at news stories, I'm going to try to seek out the more positive ones to help offset the... Less positive ones.
1: Yeah, I, I think sometimes the the positive fun ones are the ones where you find somebody's top five list or top ten list mm. of bottles. And then you just go through it and you say, Do I agree or disagree? Here's why I agree, here's why I disagree. Like those are those are the kind of the fun whiskey conversations to be had. But it's not necessarily breaking news in twenty twenty two that somebody has a favorite top ten whiskies. But Those are always fun episodes to cover. But if you're looking for good news, I would look towards today's guest. Hmm. And I would look towards an ever-evolving whiskey fan base. Mm -hmm. And I think the more people we can introduce to this world of whiskey to have whiskey conversations mm-hmm. and flavor conversations and experiential conversations, I think selfishly, the happier you and I will be, right? Very That's true. an industry that we joined. That's an industry yeah. we want to continue to There's some good news for you.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: ...party yeah. to, right? Yeah. And so I, I thought today's conversation with Samara was really excellent. And just sitting down with somebody who's passionate about mm-hmm. whiskey, and and yeah, you know we, we were kind of bourbon focused on on the liquid side of things, but she loves spirits. Yeah, she loves you know single malt Scotch as well, and it was just nice to be able to talk to somebody who was looking to expand the group
0: of people experiencing the best of this industry. And just to add on a bit more good news, I want to say happy sixth anniversary, not just to Samara B. Davis, but to the entire Black Bourbon Society. Come May 31st, they will celebrate a full six years as being a society. So congrats on that. I'm really excited to see what the next six years is going to look like. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Samara B. Davis. Samara B. Davis, I'm really excited to bring you on board. For those of you who are not familiar, Samara, you're the founder of Black Bourbon Society, which I was looking just on Friday. You have close to 25,000 people in your Facebook group, Mm -hmm. which is just phenomenal. Um, So a huge Facebook group. I wonder if you could just... Give our listeners the lay of the land. Talk to us about the start of the Black Bourbon Society, uh its beginnings, how long it's been around and, and how you've grown it up until through today.
2: Well, thank you for having me here. I'm very excited to share my story with you and your audience. Um let's see. Cheers. Let start from the beginning. Black Bourbon Society was something that I created almost six years ago when I saw a need for more diversity and inclusion in the spirit space. And, you know, it's always been twofold. It's always been cultivating this audience and really proving to the industry that this demographic exists and that this demographic was valuable. But we've always Mm -hmm. had in mind that we would work with the brands on how to actually engage with the audience. So in 2016, Mm. when I started this um, company or this organization, I came in with this big mission that I wanted to prove to the industry that African-Americans were worthy of, of experiencing, you know, this direct consumer marketing um, experiences and events that I had seen the brands do for other demographics. Um, I started in Oakland. I started producing Mm -hmm. events with, um, a local brand um, with a local rep for one of the larger brands. And uh, right off the bat, we realized that not only were we, again, um, showcasing this audience, so to speak, that we were now cultivating this audience, but that within this audience was real community. Um, so we, yeah. we originally started our community off in the Bay Area with only about 75 people. And it was through events and through whiskey education <laughs> And, um, you know, cocktails and, and tastings mm. that this, this uh, community grew. And then the following year, I um, flew out to Atlanta, where I currently live now, and I did the exact same thing. So we picked up another 75 to 80 people, uh, all learning about bourbon <laughs> and whiskey. And, you know, just the back and forth, the two sets of emails and communications to these two audiences, it only made sense that uh, we take advantage of social media and throw everybody into a Facebook group. (laughs) And that's really where the group began to grow. (laughs) Um, So it was always intended to be in person, in this in-person experience, but just out of Pure laziness on my part, honestly, guys. Uh, <laughs> I decided to throw everybody into a, a private Facebook group. And from there, it grew organically and it grew wildly. Um, and it grew across the country and even into other countries. Uh, so, yeah, now we've got 26,000 members all talking about uh, bourbon and whiskey 24 7 within this private Facebook group. And we, you know, curate special programming and educational opportunities specifically for that group. But we still hold true to Mm -hmm. what we were originally doing back in 2016. And that's working with the brands on how to um, connect and genuinely engage with African-American consumers. So we still, especially now that COVID is quote unquote over, Right. We um,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Knock on wood. Cross appreciate the, yes, quotes, yes, we thank you. the air quotes <laughs> on,
2: um, on the podcast. But um, as it's quote unquote over, um, you know, we're back to producing in-person events just like we were back in 2016. Um, so mm. now we do it on a much larger national scale. But we're back to uh, mm. cultivating audiences and working with the brands and looking at their brand strategy and really translating it into a way that um, resonates with uh, consumers of color.
1: Were you, were you able to do any online tastings as part of the COVID lockdown? Was, was that available to you? Was it something you had any interest in?
2: I am covid whiskey tasting zoom called out i am over <laughs> the whole thing and you know and so so here's the thing with COVID. we said you either did three things during COVID, right you either learned how to make bread became a plant mom or learn how to drink whiskey <laughs> <I> <laughs> like you smart. really just right or, or sometimes all three but yeah. like you know anyone that was associated with the spirits category like business thrived yeah. during mm-hmm. um, the pandemic. and and business very much thrived for us. We went completely, you know, all in on virtual experiences um, and providing cocktail courses, whiskey tasting courses, lots of education opportunities with our membership. we did happy hour every single Friday. Um, nice. For the past two and a half years, uh, we did uh, a program called Whiskey Weekly where we had uh, master distillers and brand owners and brand ambassadors come in and, and speak directly to our audience every Wednesday. We did a tasting with them. Um, so the, So the audience actually grew during the pandemic. We doubled in size wow. just alone wow. in the past two years. Um, mm-hmm. just because folks had time and curiosity. And um, on their hands, so they all came to us, <laughs> and um, and yeah, so we we just went all in on virtual programming, um, and then the brands, because of course the brands were also grounded, right? So their brand ambassadors, their their sales and marketing team were now stuck at home as well. They couldn't get out and do their regular sales calls and events that they do. So they relied heavily on us to help to market and advertise their products and their releases directly to you know, to audiences. So we were we were busy, super busy, but I'm glad mm. those days mm. are over. Every once in a while, I still get a call for a virtual tasting and I, I decline it. It's got to be Oprah on the line for me to do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> do, do you, I, I know you said there's burnout mm-hmm. there. Do you foresee, because you've got this national and international presence, do you foresee a time when the burnout kind of when you rebound from that that you might want to return to the occasional not the every friday not the every wednesday but might they have usefulness for you once you get a chance to take a break
2: yes i think so but i also think not only is it burnout for me from a production standpoint and from a leader um, from a position of leadership but i think our audience is also zoomed out as well and right now yeah. we're in this mm-hmm. space mm-hmm. where uh, folks just want to be out and about. You know, people are making up the trips that they still had on the books from 2020. Um, and so they're out, they're traveling, they're, mm-hmm. about, they're not in front of their computers anymore. Um, but I do think that as this like initial surge of kind of catching back up with what you missed for the past two years, I think once that kind of settles back Mm -hmm. in, there may be an opportunity to do a mix of, you know, in-person and virtual. Um, But I think right now it's almost counterproductive. Mm -hmm. Let people live, go out there, don't be in front of your computer and Mm -hmm. go get the fresh air, go get on the plane. Um, And then, yeah, maybe in the fall, (laughs) you know, we'll get back to doing some sort of mix or hybrid approach, Um, but not right now.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. The question that I had in... In mind, because you brought up an interesting point, right? Where where you're looking to communicate with communities of color and bringing in that um, mm-hmm. inclusivity. And I'm not I'm not asking for industry secrets here, but I'm curious. You know, I th- I think various industries, whether it's whiskey or or food or travel or or you name it, are missing the mark with certain communities, be it communities of color, be it Jewish communities, be it Muslim communities, what have you, what has the whiskey industry, what marks has the whiskey industry missed when trying to reach out to communities of color? And and how are you putting those two worlds together?
2: That's an interesting question. You know, I don't think the ind- the whiskey industry didn't know it had a diversity issue. Right. I think before I Mm -hmm. came onto the scene, whiskey was very much promoted as a middle aged white male's drink. And it's been that way for decades Mm -hmm. and, you know, for hundreds of years, honestly. Um, And I think the whiskey world was quite happy just living in that lane of being the middle aged white man's drink. And then five years ago when, you know, I started Black Bourbon Society, you also had other women's, other groups popping up, right? You had women who whiskey started popping up. Um, You had whiskey chicks. You've got now got bourbon women. Um, You now have women taking on major uh, leadership roles within these organizations. I think now the industry itself sees itself as like, oh, wait, like we actually aren't just middle-aged white men anymore now we are women yeah. now we are african americans now we are latino and we are you know different religions and 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 asian and lgbtqia like we're all the things um and i sure. think mm-hmm. the the industry kind of caught was caught off guard with how do we pivot and how mm-hmm. do we Diversify um, an industry that has always been sold and positioned in one way in the market, and they very much still struggle with that to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, although there has been some um, yeah. some strides that have been made, and they have had to, you know, to recognize and acknowledge that diversity is happening before our very eyes, like this major push, push not only in the industry but societally, right? politically, like we are all have, we are all Mm -hmm. seeing this major push Mm -hmm. for diversity and inclusion. Um, And so they're scrambling just like everybody else is to try and figure out how do we, how do we change our messaging? How do we actually do this the right way? The truth is the majority of brands don't know how, right? There's no one on staff that knows how, uh, which is why, again, we are consulting with the brands and we work with them behind closed doors um, to
0: figure out the best strategy to do that. Jason, I don't, I don't know if you had a follow-up to that, but I... I... I have a follow-up, but it sounds like you have got a follow-up yeah, as well, well, so go for it. <laughs> uh, so this is It's going to be a bit of a lead-up to it, but I trust me, it's going to pay off. Okay. So in, in 2012, Jason and I were, in a way, forced into starting a festival called Whiskey Jubilee, um, whiskey Fest New York switched their event from a you know weekday to the Jewish Sabbath, mm. and we were the Jewish whiskey company, and so we had you know distributors and importers and brands saying, most of the people that go to Whiskey Fest can't go to this anymore. Can you help? Can you help us out? Right. So in f- four and a half weeks' time, we put together an event called Whiskey Jubilee, which at that time was. 99.99%, you know, white Jewish male. And over the period of around six years or so, we we grew into Chicago, we grew into Seattle. And I, I would say by the end, it ended up being a more 65-35 split of men to women. And then there were um, uh, people of color, Asian, uh, Latino, etc. It, it was much more diverse. Mm-hmm. And we also made it you know, for us, it was very important to not have models behind the table, especially for women. Right? right? We wanted, we didn't want just, you know, pretty women or handsome men behind the table. We wanted people who could talk intelligently about the brands. And so that was a stipulation. If you want to exhibit, you have to be brand direct. You have to, you can't just be a pretty face.
2: Love it.
0: So we were very happy with that. Now with that in mind, when I go to the to the Black Bourbon Society Facebook page. I love it there because the conversation is great, the questions are great. But I sometimes want to comment, but I also think am I just another middle-aged white guy voice that doesn't <laughs> need to be heard? You, you know what I mean? So like so with all that in mind like Am I taking the right position? Just, just reading and seeing what's going on? Should, should I chime in?
2: You like, should chime in.
0: Where? Yeah. Yeah. You should chime
2: in. And, you know, and of, of course, we are the Black Bourbon Society, and I get this question all the time, but we are advocates for diversity and inclusion. So all voices really do matter. And all voices really do lend to the conversation, and we all grow together. So, absolutely. And you know, we have we have white male um, members. And they show up at events and they're participating in the conversation and they're bottle swapping. And it's, it's a whole thing, right? Okay. So it's like, yeah, we're all inclusive. Okay. So no, by, by all means, like, don't feel like you need to be quiet, <laughs> you know, like we, we welcome your voice and your expertise, yeah, which yeah, is really I, needed, you know?
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, that but, but, but isn't there,
1: but isn't there then a fine line between that knowing that, and we talk about this on the podcast, knowing that as middle-aged white men, we need to be doing more listening, but at the same time, we do also have things to say, and and goodness (laughs) knows there's enough people hearing our voices. How does one strike that balance between, I know our kind needs to do more listening, but also I'd like to enter into the conversation?
2: Well, I think it depends on the conversation, right? Mm. And so, if we're talking whiskey, and we're talking about, you know, have you had this? Is it on your shelf? I'm looking. I'm trying to look at your shelf, Joshua, to see um, <laughs> what I need you to send me samples of. But um, you know, it, it, it's it's um, it's all about like, you know, if we're having a conversation about whiskey, like absolutely, if you know about it, if you've got experience with the brand or you, it's your favorite, jump in and share that knowledge, cool. right? Because that helps to. To build the educational base of the of the group, right now there are some times when we have topics on diversity and inclusion, and it really is about um, African Americans feeling like they're not heard in the industry maybe that is a better time to listen, right? <laughs> or to even mm-hmm. if you comment, mm-hmm. right? Maybe it's a maybe it's a comment of support to say like, I'm just listening. I really am finding it fascinating and I want to know how I can support. So there are moments where you may want to um, just say that you're more of a listener and fall back and receive the information. But mm. nine times out of 10, especially in Black Bourbon Society, we are literally talking about booze all day long
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and that and, 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 and you know unfortunately like not unfortunately but fortunately it's it has no color attached to it other than what comes yeah. out of the barrel yeah. you know like there's yeah. no yeah. There's, yeah. It, it's it's made for us all and i think that's the thing like um when i really look at where bourbon is headed in in the future you know because we're five years in we're six years in and I think we've proven to the point that the black consumer exists and has major buying mm-hmm. power right and is a, is as mm-hmm. a demographic that really needs to be acknowledged and recognized. We've proven all of that mm-hmm. um but I'm as I continue to consult with the brands, I'm now helping them to shift the way that they approach marketing to our society and it's not just to yeah, African Americans yeah. right It's not just to Asians or Latinos or or to middle-aged white males. It's really how, this is a, I think we are at a pivotal time in our society where we can redefine bourbon altogether. It's almost taking a modern approach, getting out of some Mm. of this nostalgia that, you know, is built on, Mm. it's it's built built on um, discrimination and segregation and racism and all those Uh things, right? Like, I think yep. it's time for us to move away from that and to just really go in presenting bourbon as truly America's native spirit. There you go. And if it is America's native yeah. spirit, then you, then that is not just middle-aged white males because that's not what our country looks like,
3: yeah. mm-hmm.
2: you know? Yeah, so, exactly. um, so, yeah, so this is a conversation for all of us. So please jump in, join in and, and share what you know. And yeah, share okay. some share some of your samples back there,
0: please. Oh yeah. <laughs> Listen, you ever find yourself in Connecticut, look me up because I, I have a lot of whiskey to share and COVID's yeah, but... over now, so I'm inviting <laughs> yeah, everyone to just come in. It's like, please
2: I know you can't drink that all all of that by yourself. So
1: <laughs> But we do have a running joke, though, that Joshua's house is where samples go to die. So if you expect anything to come out, if you go to his house, he'll pour for you all day and all night. If you wait for samples to come in your front door, it ain't happening.
2: So Um, I agree with that. I'm the exact same way. And I tell the members, if you're ever in Atlanta, please come by. I will open up all the cabinets like underneath the couches. I've got bottles everywhere. Please drink as much <laughs> as you possibly can. But no, me bottling, sampling, and yeah, if, thank you. if you're waiting on me, it's never happened.
0: I knew we were kindred spirits yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah. yeah, I feel validated.
2: Yes, come come to Atlanta, Joshua. The door is always open.
1: I love Atlanta. I'm, I'm going to come back with an Atlanta question shortly. Okay. But I, my, my follow-on here is in terms of this listening, in terms of this paying attention, in terms of this responding, and I love, absolutely love what you just said about let's make bourbon for everybody. Let, let's yeah. all get involved here and, and share this. And so my, I, I'm kind of curious how, how quickly you'll be able to answer my question. I, I don't think it's going to be a particularly complex question. But is there some historical, even even modern historical, Mm-hmm. caution from brands where to, to treat people of color as a monolith is as bad as not listening to them. Mm. Is, is there some caution there that you can't just walk in and say, here's what all black folk want to hear, see, taste. And so in order to not make that mistake, we're just gonna quietly go about business as usual and try not to offend people. It, how do 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 you experience or have you seen some of that caution from? Absolutely. And if you have, how, and how should they get over that? Move beyond that.
2: Absolutely. You know, um, this kind of goes back to you know last 2020 right it's not even last year Mm. we've been in a pandemic so long we don't know what (laughs) year it is anymore um but back Mm -hmm. in 2020 when we went through this racial reawakening or reckoning in our country um around the murders of ahmaud arbery brianna taylor and george Floyd, and um Mm -hmm. and how you know the brands were very slow to make any sort of statement. Especially around Black Lives Matter. Now, you had larger companies, right? Coca Cola, Sony, um, the networks, like Nike. Uh, all these large conglomerates came out, threw up black tiles on social media, and said, "Like, enough's enough. All black, ma- all Black Lives Matter. Like, we are, we are behind mm-hmm. this movement, um, and we, and we are recognizing that this is a pivotal time in our in our country." Um, the brands were very hesitant to do anything they kind of froze in the moment um, and they acted like business Mm -hmm. was happening as usual, which was really disappointing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in true Samara fashion, I like to, every once in a while, I like to write a thick piece and call people out and call them to the carpet. And so we did, we did this public letter to the industry where we did call them Mm -hmm. to the carpet. Um, And the response from the majority of the brands that I spoke with were, well, we just don't know what to do. And we kind of feel Mm -hmm. like if we don't know what to do, then we shouldn't do anything at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But how that comes off to the consumer is it comes off as if you don't care. And it comes off as if you've just plugged your head in the sand. And so it's very off-putting to the consumer base, who's just like, hey, don't you see us? Like, we are in pain. We buy your products all day long to cope with our pain, and you don't even recognize that what's going on in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that was a really interesting moment, um, not, you know, for society, but especially with my relationship with the brands and really trying to understand how can we better serve them so that they can better serve their diverse consumers and you know you're you're absolutely right they really didn't know how to do it um before then they had relied on these like marketing stereotypes right of like oh women like all things pink black people like all things sweet Mm -hmm. you know um and Mm -hmm. they were just trying to follow off of some something in a textbook that some twenty year old said, right? But had actual no value to it. Um, and so after having real conversations with them, you know, we we had to say, like, look, it's absolutely okay to say we don't know what to do in this moment, but we recognize that this is a moment to make action and to take action. And and slowly, you had brands that did come up and say, just be honest, and that takes a lot of courage to do for a brand to say. We don't know what to do in this moment, but we hear you, we see yeah. you, mm-hmm. we recognize it, and we'll figure it out, even if we gotta figure it out together. Um, and so I was I was very impressed that some brands didn't make that statement. Here's a flip side of why they really didn't wanna do it though, is they didn't want to piss off their base. Yep. So again, yep. Yep. in twenty twenty, we're in the middle of the most heated election cycle known to man. We're all stuck at home and then we're in the middle of this racial awakening mm-hmm. in our country and in, in our society. Just a lot of muck going on. And we were all at home and had no other choice but to deal with it. You know?
3: Yeah.
2: Um yep. but the base, which again has traditionally been middle aged white male, sometimes from rural parts of our country or from middle America of our country, they didn't understand the need to do this whole diversity or to even speak up and be part of this moment too. And so a lot of the brands Mm -hmm. were also concerned, how do we make this shift? How do we become more diverse without pissing off our our hardcore audience? And that's just a hard place to Mm -hmm. be in. It's really uncomfortable for everybody, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's some some learning, there's some evolution that has to take place, but um, it takes courage. Courage is the number one um, answer to that. And a lot of brands are moving slow but they're moving courageously and and that that takes a lot of guts right now. can you can you speak
1: to the frustration and, and i i don't want to assume it's there but if it is there can you speak to it of saying look i'm a consumer i've got black skin i'd like you to speak to me and then people turning around and saying why do we have to make bourbon political
2: why does right. it have to be Like,
1: does that just make you pull your hair out?
2: Well, my color shouldn't be political.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right? Right. You know what I
2: mean? Like, I'm not making it political. You are.
0: Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. There you go.
2: You know, and again, (sighs) if we are really defining what does it mean to be an American? And what does Mm -hmm. bourbon mean to be America's native spirit? Then... There's nothing political about that. That is just recognizing our country for what it is.
1: Have you seen success there? Have, have you seen people surprise you pleasantly that they <laughs> that they've got that message?
2: I have actually. I've seen I've seen brands step up in a really big way, and um, I've seen smaller brands who only have staffs of you know four to ten people. Who you know, for them, it's really hard for them to be diverse because it's literally. Them, their wives, their next door neighbor and their cousin that's running <laughs> yeah. the still, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. but I've seen smaller brands that are are popping up and want to get it right from the from the very beginning. Yeah, And they're just asking for a little encouragement and a little direction on how to appropriately do that. I'm seeing um, mid-sized companies who are growing and as they grow, really want to take on a, inclusion internally. How do they hire more uh, diverse talent within their ranks? How do they build a diverse workforce? Yeah. Um, so I see companies that, it's smaller companies that, and mid-sized companies that are really interested and really want to be part of a, the next wave. Right. Of bourbon. They, they haven't been here for mm-hmm, 200 yeah. years, so they don't have the historical component to it, but they, they definitely want to grow and they want to grow with what our society is and is becoming. Um, and even with the larger conglomerates that have been here, the larger bourbon brands that have been here for hundreds of years and have, you know, the, are all part of, all the names are part of the, are the historical, you know, mm-hmm. references in bourbon history. Um, They also want to get it right. And that work has to take, that work is going to take a lot longer. Um, And so there is no frustration with that because you just understand, you know, it takes forever and a day to move these big giant, you know, barges (laughs) literally, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a difference between how do you turn around a tugboat? How do you turn around a a cruise ship? Mm
3: -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm.
2: Um, So, it takes a lot longer and a lot more effort to make that change. But, you know, you've got companies that are um, really took on uh, an initiative to hire. um, What's the word that I'm looking for? Like chief diversity officers. Mm -hmm. They really took on task force. uh, How do they make their staffs more diverse? Um, They started consulting and working with, you know, smaller nonprofits and really working with societies like mine to reach diverse audiences. Um, So, there's, there's some opportunity there. And I think everyone is trying in their own way to, um, to get it right.
1: Is that your work with Diversity Distilled? I know we've been speaking about Black Bourbon Society. Could you speak to Diversity Distilled? You're the mm-hmm. founding director there.
2: Yeah. So Diversity Distilled is our nonprofit organization. And it is. It is focused more on recruiting, promoting, and um, retaining mm. Diverse talent within uh, the larger organizations, mm. and it's not just the bourbon gotcha. or whiskey industry; it's the spirits industry as a whole. Sure. And um, we really do consult with uh, HR departments, with the C-suite, with managers on um, on how they can be more diverse and inclusive, how they can empower their um, their their already built-in workforce to be more um, educated around diversity and, and inclusion. Mm. And um, even, you know, helping some organizations to to develop like an employee resource group uh, so that there could be some sort of support for diverse employees within the organizations. Hmm. So we do a lot of work with that. Uh, we're also working with Tales of the Cocktail this year to produce a diversity career fair. So, again, cool. really looking at um, how do we make this a more diverse um, workforce? And, you know, it's with with inclusion. Yeah. It can't just be posting a res or posting a job post on LinkedIn or Indeed, mm-hmm. right? You've got to be a little bit more intentional with seeking out diverse candidates. Um, and you've got to partner with certain folks. You've got to go to the schools. You've got to look at uh, it, talent from other industries and see how you can translate that over into the spirits industry. Um, but there is definitely a way to do that. And we, we do a lot of consulting around that
0: with diversity distilled. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Am I allowed to have the floor, Jason?
1: (laughs) (laughs) See, I start to do this in interviews. I give Joshua the runway and then I start to take it (laughs) over and then Joshua begs to be allowed
0: back in again. So please, Joshua. (laughs) Uh, I just, I want to switch gears a little bit here because I realize when we first started the conversation, it was you know, welcome to the podcast, tell us about Black Bourbon Society, and then we moved on. But we didn't get to know you. And so I'm really curious to to hear about your spark within whiskey and and also why bourbon and not another whiskey or another spirit, or maybe you started with something else mm-hmm. and then transitioned over to primarily bourbon. So I wonder if you could tell us about your spark a bit.
2: Well, this is where it gets juicy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Here we go. Hold on. Let me pull my seat up here.
2: Right. Um, no, you know, uh, we were laughing um, before we were recording about my ex-husband and my ex-husband uh, literally drove me to drink. Um, no, I'm just kidding. So but <laughs>
0: <laughs> you weren't kidding, this is getting juicy.
2: Um in a more professional way of saying this. Um, you know, I was um so who am I? First of all, um two things that are really important to me is I'm a mom, right? And mm-hmm. I am i I'm someone mm-hmm. else's wife. I still am a wife, but someone else is now. And um, so I'm mm-hmm. a mother. Um, I have two small children. At the time when I started Black Urban Society, they're small. Now they're eight and eleven and think they know everything in life. Mm. Um, but I, you know, <laughs> back then in in 2016, I was a wine drinker. I lived in the Bay Area and Napa was in our backyard. So that, you know, when I had sure. free time, mm. my girlfriends and I would go up to Napa and we would have wine, and uh, we would just enjoy. You know the the local spirit, I didn't really drink a lot of hard liquor, mm. uh, before then. You know, of course, in college, you go through the gamut of your different spirits, and I had too many fun nights with tequila and vowed to uh. never ever drink that again. Um, uh. but yeah, I was in my mid 30s and a serious wine snob, like, I could swirl it around and pick <laughs> up the aromas and you know, pick up bell pepper and you know jammy notes on my palate uh so (laughs) i had all of that experience under my belt (laughs) but um you know i was married to this man who's not very nice um and he didn't like wine he actually snubbed it every time that i drank wine oh he was um
0: okay
2: he would kind of give me this smug look and be like oh you're drinking Uh, your wine again or whatever so i was like okay well let me see what you're drinking and he was drinking bourbon. And so I started drinking bourbon as a way to try and connect with him and build a stronger relationship with him. Mm. And I fell in love with bourbon and fell completely out of love with him so
1: <laughs> just juicy meter is off the scale right now this is we need a it's new meter so
2: full of shade it's so full of shade so full of snark so all, all the black women pettiness like this is all there in the story <laughs> but um so yeah but you know i fell in love with whiskey and i saw an opportunity there and it's literally was stars aligning for me so yeah um my previous background before I came into the spirits industry was I was a curator for an art gallery. So I worked in the art space for a really long time and had switched mm-hmm. out of that to focus on uh, large scale events and production mm. for a nonprofit, um, health organization. Yeah. And, um, I had worked there for a little while and then got into a point in my career where I was done with logistics and just wanted to start consulting and doing my own thing. So Mm -hmm. I had my own um, nonprofit consulting and event production business that I was working. I was doing an event for someone else, and there was a woman who was a brand-new rep for a whiskey brand sitting at the table with me at that event. And she and I started talking, and um and starting to get to know each other and i said well you know i plan events and i do this in my sleep and i drink whiskey i've got this new obsession with whiskey now because my husband at the time um so yeah we should work together and essentially she third-partied all of her work all of the responsibilities that she was supposed to do for this brand she gave it to me to do while she was getting settled and acclimated to the area where we lived and oh, wow. so I learned a lot about how to produce uh, these direct consumer marketing events, like how an agency would produce it. Um, and it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I asked her a question one day and she's like, you know, I'm planning these events, but I don't know who I'm planning these events for. And, <laughs> and she's, she's like, oh, well, I, you know, I can't really answer this right now. I've got the cable guy coming. the moving truck is late with my stuff. Just, I'm going to (laughs) forge you over my, my marketing deck and you figure it out. So she did And when she did that, that's when I realized there was this gaping hole and there was nothing geared towards consumers of color beyond the urban demographic. Um, and so that's really how black Urban society got started. Like, that's how my love got, my passion got started right there. It just was kind of like literally things falling into place, um, I started Black Bourbon Society. I joined the USBG. I started going to all these whiskey trainings mm-hmm. and presentations that the brands mm-hmm. would give bartenders, just taking notes, refining my palate. Um, I then went to um, the New Orleans Bourbon Festival, the very first one, um, in 2017. Okay. And continued to just learn and continue to meet as many people as possible in this industry, and uh, that's how I grew the business, and that's how I really got a hold in it, into it. Yeah. Wow.
0: And go, go ahead, Jason.
2: No, I,
1: I just love every story that has you know I was sitting next to this person yeah, right. randomly <laughs> at a random event, and everything mm-hmm. fell in place from that moment. I I yeah. love stories. And then the that
2: husband, we got rid of the it. husband, and then we yeah. picked up a new husband, and then. <laughs> Like the story, but, you know, every story that I have from that moment is really one that leads into a next and to another mm-hmm. and to another. Um, and for me, what mm-hmm. that means mm-hmm. is that this was my purpose and a part of my this was my part of my assignment. Yeah. Right. Um, and it, it's kind of hard. You know, you don't want to yeah. find divinity and whiskey, although it, you should. Right. Because. Jesus turned water into whiskey. He, it wasn't wine. Yep. Um, <laughs> it was a, yeah, a mistranslation. That's what, I, <laughs> that's what we're speaking with, right? <laughs> um, but um, but no, there's um, but there is some sort of divine me in this, right? Uh, and once I tapped mm. into whatever I was aligned to do, whatever my purpose was, literally doors just started opening things just start un- unfolding yeah, in yeah. a way that I couldn't have never imagined
0: so the the follow up question that I had and, 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 and but I want to go down this a bit more perhaps um but the follow up question that I had was once you got hooked on whiskey and and found mm-hmm. that passion within whiskey and went down the rabbit hole how mm-hmm. much room do you have for wine now can, can you can hmm. you go back to wine? Do you have that same love, or or is that not as special to you anymore?
2: You know, I mean, that I'm in like? my 40s, and something about tannins don't sit well in my stomach anymore. <laughs>
0: yep, it all comes up here. Then you need the tums. Yeah, it's just, like I get it. <laughs>
2: yeah, it just it doesn't sit well. Um, but I I'm headed to Napa. I'm on a top secret secret project. I'm headed to Napa oh, Valley with a cool. brand and two weeks so we'll be there doing some things with wine and with whiskey so I'll get a chance to pull that all back together Um, but no I still drink wine just not as much you know there's still a time for it I still love a good margarita like I've, I've actually gone back and revisited yeah. tequila yeah. as an, as an adult, quote unquote, <laughs> you know, hashtag drinking responsibly. drinking responsibly, right? Like I realized that, I realized that a lot of tequila that's given to 20 year olds is actually not tequila. It's just yep. junk.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but you know, um, with, with whiskey and spirits education, um, you learn the difference, and you learn high-quality spirits. So I have gone back to drinking um, mezcal sours and and, and oh, margaritas. Yeah. So I love a good cocktail, no matter what it is. Uh, but yeah, you know there is a place, time, and place for wine. I was sitting by the pool yesterday with my daughter. And I was just like, this is a rosé day,
1: yeah.
3: but I didn't oh, yeah. have it.
2: I didn't have any chill. So yeah.
1: Rosé all day.
2: Rosé all day. It was. It would have been perfect for yesterday, but I just didn't have any in the refrigerator.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then, and and then, in the other direction, do you find yourself going outside of bourbon to say Scotch whiskey or Indian whiskey or English whiskey? Like, wh- where, where has your transition to bourbon take you to? As far as other whiskey routes have. Are concerned.
2: So this is how you know this is divine. <laughs> I met my husband, my new husband. Yeah. Our first conversation was, "Oh, so you drink bourbon." Well, I'm a scotch drinker. And nice. I, I think you should if you like this bourbon, then you should try this scotch.
1: Yeah.
3: And
2: right. my response was, okay, well, if you like that, then you should drink this. Yeah.
1: Oh Yes, exactly. And so
2: it's a whole trade-off, right? My husband loves scotch, and we've got our scotch collection rivals my American whiskey collection. Um, and he, he loves Japanese whiskey, so okay. yeah. um, I have, you know, spent... A pretty penny hunting down very <laughs> special bottles, <laughs> uh-huh. rare bottles for him, um, just as gifts. So, um, so yeah. So we drink it all, right? We really do have um, the vocabulary and the understanding of all whiskeys and appreciation for it. Um, so yeah. So it just kind of happens again. Like we we focus on bourbon because it's America's native spirit. It's our American issue that we do, that we deal with. But we drink, what we love is, yeah, we love scotch. We love um, this resurgence of Irish whiskey that's happening mm. right now. Mm-hmm. We're really loving that. Um, Indian whiskey is amazing. Um, and then all you know the Japanese whiskeys great have uh, a with the Taiwanese whiskey is, is good yeah. so mm-hmm. um even there's um starwood which is in Australia that's amazing mm-hmm. whiskey yeah. Yeah. so yeah we're we're global whiskey drinkers
1: do you remember the the bourbons and the single malts that each of you <laughs> shared with the other as as part <laughs> of that <laughs> If you like this, I got to pour that for you. I
2: don't remember. I remember back then I was just like, oh, I I drink only high proofs. I don't mess with scotch because scotch is only like 80, 90 proof. (laughs) It's like, oh, you're such a lightweight drinking that because I drink 127 (laughs) and up. So I was being such a brat, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. For years I talked about, yeah, bourbon comes in at 80 proof, you know, 90 proof. I'm cast strength Scotch, so <laughs> I'm glad that we each had our, our snobby moments with right, other people. Right. So. <laughs> so so actually, this this leads perfectly into what I wanted to ask you. And circling back to Atlanta, how long have you now been in Atlanta?
2: Uh, I moved here the summer before the pandemic hit, so summer 2019. Okay. All
1: right. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so I was visiting Atlanta a fair bit, round about 2017, 2018, and, and the Atlanta market was really interesting to mm-hmm. me. And, and and here we are talking about cask strength. It was rare for me to meet somebody who was familiar with cask strength. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a young market and an eager market, but... It it felt to me like they needed somebody to take them under their wing right. and start putting in the heavy lifting on here's where we're at with brown spirits, predominantly bourbon, but also with single malt, and here's where we can ride that train, roller coaster, aircraft, whichever metaphor you want mm-hmm. to insert here. What's your experience been of the Atlanta marketplace? Uh, and giving your own love of, of higher-proof spirits.
2: You know, it, it's definitely shifted since then. It's grown since mm-hmm. 2019 when I, uh, when I first moved here. Um, I think it just needed a, the educational base behind it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think in 2017, mm-hmm. 2018, even 2019, that was new. It was, like it was on the cusp of the trend really taking off. Now the mm-hmm. trend has completely exhausted itself, if you want to be honest. Um, just because mm, the secondary market here is insane you know um ah. so now they got they got mm. the point that cash strength is great they've got the point of single barrels they've got <laughs> all those points um and now you know you see a lot of price gouging with retailers here um Damn you know it. yeah. selling you know 99 bottles of eh Taylor for 599 you know, 8 dollars mm-hmm. um, yep. so mm-hmm. the, the So it's not a secret anymore. We also have gotten some really cool bourbon bars here and some new cocktail bars that have great whiskey programs and, and, and great collections on their shelf. So um, the accessibility, it's a little bit easier to get some of the stuff that mm. you wouldn't be able to find um, and have a sip of. So the educational opportunity has, has grown here a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It it was interesting to me because there was so much building both Atlanta and Nashville just had so much construction happening in both places yeah. and new bars new restaurants you know cocktail specialists were opening up so quickly that it was hard to to educate everybody who needed educating mm-hmm. and to to bring them up to speed as quickly as they needed to come up to speed. There were obviously places here and there um Ponce, Ponce de Leon yeah. is it the that kind of indoor market yeah, space market. that was yeah. uh absolutely remarkable. I loved it there. Um walked past Hugh Jackman there uh, yeah. one night, you know, some of them some of the Marvel mm-hmm. Um, filming was happening in Atlanta at that time.
2: You've got to come back. There is a bar at Ponce City Market that is in the clock tower. It's a speakeasy bar um, that Ah. you just have to know about. It's it's called 12, um, Mm. but it's at the top. There's a rooftop like carnival, Nice. but there's also a set of staircases. There's no elevator access up there, but there's a set of staircases that look super duper creepy. And I promise you there's no chainsaw murder at the top. (laughs) But you open the door <laughs> famous
1: last words and
2: it's like chandeliers and velvet couches and um the best whiskey Fun. and cocktail um you know spirits collection that you could ever have. They don't have cocktail yeah. menus. Okay. You tell the bar what you like and they go from there.
1: Interesting. Yeah, but like sweet
2: little treasures like that are popping up all over Atlanta.
1: Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, and, and I think is it, I always get the number wrong on it. Is it 1821 bitters uh-huh. who got their oh. start in the market yeah. and they were just in the processes of moving to new facilities. And again, I'm talking five years yeah. ago, uh, but they were in the process of moving. But I, I buy their bitters yeah. uh, because I met them and, and absolutely fell in love with them. In- and to see their success yeah. has been really wonderful as well.
2: And talk about uh, diversity—they're black-owned and LGBTQIA. Um,
0: Right? Yeah. I I was just—I was just going to. uh, I I must have taken it out and put it downstairs, but I had just gotten a new bottle of the, the Japanese chili bitters, Jason. Awesome. You suggested to me. I went through a bottle and I got another one. So.
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: (laughs) So good. I've got a mezcal cocktail that I put those bitters into, and mm, Mm. absolutely wonderful. Say, email me that recipe, please. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I yeah, we mentioned it on the podcast, and then I think Joshua said, "Yeah, you're gonna have to tell us that," and I was like, "Yeah, it's it's my Gringroni. Uh one ounce." Uh, and Joshua says that my recipe doesn't live up to me riffing on a a Negroni with what I do with it. But okay, Joshua is very judgmental. He gives me a very <laughs> tough time around these parts. I'm glad you're here today, Samara. So that. I, <laughs> I <laughs> like I've got somebody on my side um yeah I, I, so yeah it is it's, it's really simple it's it's one ounce of mescal I use papa Diablo uh, out of the whiskey exchange because uh, I love it the Respadina is excellent um it's one ounce of campari it's one ounce of uh, gosh, what else do I put in Just I make it up and I stick it in a bottle and I put the bottle into mm-hmm. my fridge and then I just pour my measures from my oh, nice. bottle, add my bitters and I'm a happy camper. Um, I,
2: I don't think it' you put vermouth I put,
1: in it? Oh, it was an, ounce of, an ounce of lime juice. Oh, lime Why lime am I blanking okay. on this? So one ounce of mezcal, one ounce of uh, Campari, one ounce of lime juice and then a whole bunch of drops of the Japanese chili lime bitters. Um, and then I put my half... Of uh, squeezed lime just into the glass, tumbler glass, all filled with ice, all stirred up and down the hatch. And you talk about your your rosé all day next to the pool, that that is an outdoor warm weather cocktail that goes down very, very
2: easily. Okay. Oh. I'll have to try uh, it. I'll have to try
1: it. Highly recommended. Oh, highly. So with an eye on the clock, and I know you start out saying, I have to get your children after this, and I've heard my first child coming home. My next one's coming home from practice soon. Uh, Joshua, do you want to wrap us up with a question and get us out of here? Do you want me I, to? I,
0: I would like for you to do that, but I wonder if you just have two minutes to answer one other question that, that's, yeah. that's been burning in my head ever since you said, you know, you, you started Black Bourbon Society around six years ago. Bourbon has evolved so much in the past six years, and you mentioned it too, yeah. right, with, with this idea that secondary pricing has changed everything yeah. uh, all the way down to the retail shelf. And it used to be that four, five, six, seven years ago, someone says, hey, I'm really interested in a bourbon. Where should I go? What should I try? And I would just say, grab a bottle of Blanton's. You'll find them everywhere. They're 35 bucks <laughs> a pop. Easy breezy cover girl. You know, you're good to go. Can't find that. You know, get, get, into, uh, get a, um, oh, geez, why am I blinking on the name? Uh, Elmer T. Lee, right? You know, and it was just, all this stuff was so easy. and
2: So you're the reason why now, we can't find a, it on the shelves.
0: <laughs> right, right. This is, you can, you can blame me. Right, but, but it was readily available. The, the retail price was, was surely attainable. And now even retail prices have doubled, right? You've got um, antique Weller, which used to be a twenty-seven dollar bottle, and now it's—I don't know what the retail price is, but I—that was my recommendation yeah. to people was antique. And so, my my point to you is: people who are looking to get into bourbon, without giving away too many secrets, because as soon as you say it, the retail price is going to go up, <laughs> and the demand's going to go through the roof. But like, like, do you do you have? Um, Foot in the door bottlings that you suggest to people if they're interested in getting into a bourbon or or some other kind of even even yeah. if it's Scotch whiskey now right um, what are your go tos that you suggest to people
2: well if it's bourbon you know I say you can start at a reasonable price point with bourbon right like at the end of the day it's corn it's water it's yeast and it's wood right like it's mm-hmm. it's a simple formula right. Like, that doesn't have to cost $150 or, 100, or $180 to, to have a good bottle. Um, a bottle of Evan Williams Bottled and Bond is nineteen ninety nine dollars all day long. And sometimes yeah, if yeah. you catch it on sale, you can get it for $14.99, right? Yeah. I would say start with something quintessential like that or start with uh, Elijah Craig. I also think Maker's Mark is a really good example of like a, just a quintessential mm-hmm. classic bourbon. If you want to feel a little fancy, fine, go get the Makers 46, right? And at least you can make cocktails with it too. Um, but there are some brands that are readily available and will always be on the shelf, you know, that you could start off with those. I wouldn't, you know, Blantons and Umber T Lee yeah. are they're very hard to find now. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and they have distribution it issues and, and, and it's, yeah. it, it just really depends. Right. So like you can find Blantons and Walgreens in Florida all day long. Right. Like they don't have any distribution issues hmm. in Florida. They don't have distribution issues in Texas. But someplace like California, you can, can't find it on the shelf. And if you do, you're paying one hundred and sixty dollars for it for a fifty dollar bottle. Um, so I, I always suggest something that is always going to be on anybody's shelf. So Mm -hmm. go for your Evan Williams, go for your Elijah Craigs, go for your maker's mark, um, your Woodford reserves, like just go for those tried and trues, um, and start from there, start within a price point that you feel comfortable spending money on. If you, Mm -hmm. if you don't like it, you don't feel like you wasted a hundred dollars. Right. So, Mm -hmm. I was st- I would stick within that 40 twenty dollar to forty dollar range, maybe fifty if you feel you know special. but uh, really keep it within that area and find out what you like. The other thing I say is if you really don't know where to start, start off at you know your local bar. Support your local establishment mm, yeah, you and go. talk to your bartender. Tell them what you like and let them pick and, and start a journey for you there. Um, yeah. So there's there's always that option as well, um, and it'll save you a whole lot of money in the long run. That's um, beautiful. Well put. Yep. Yeah, for scotch now.
0: <laughs>
2: I'm a I'm a Balvenie girl. Okay. I, I love Balvenie. Um, and you could start, you know, as a for an introduction into scotch because everyone's so worried about the peat, you know, and the rubber band and band aid taste of it. Uh, you could start with the Caribbean cast. You could start with 14 year yeah. and you could start to, you know, ease your way off into a quote unquote sweeter palette. That'll uh, lend really well to a scotch. Uh, but Glymphitic has also some really great, uh, there's the um has, a, is a good one, even their 12 year with all the apple and pear notes in it is great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so just, you know, start off and ease your way into, to scotch from, you know, sweeter in and in, into more peaty heavy heavy um smoky notes. So <laughs> you know yeah,
1: back when I first moved to the US and people would ask me about, you know, where should I start at the store with single malt, I, I always used to say Balveni Doublewood
2: Yes. Oh my and, God. My and
1: at that point it was a thirty five dollar bottle. Oh, don't tell me um, that <laughs> and, and it was a great one. I am old um and I've lived in the u s longer than i uh, can remember, but that was in two thousand and four it was thirty five dollars a bottle yeah. and and is now sixty sixty five 65, yeah. maybe sometimes seventy, depending on your particular market mm-hmm. um but it's still available it's, it's still, still there. right there for people. they're still able to get their hands on yeah. it
2: yeah, double wood is uh probably my favorite. Um, but, you know, I'm an Octomore person too, so Ooh, I, I look forward to those special <laughs> releases every year, and, um, I'm the only one who drinks them, no one wants to, <laughs> to go that high with the Pete with me, but, you know, what can you do, so, but yeah, that Double Wood yep. is special, that's a, like, for me, that's, like, a really good day, like, I am nice. feeling myself <laughs> nice. today let me go inform myself a little bit of the yeah. 17 year
1: but but the, the but the thing that i love about that as well is if somebody says to me i've got someone who loves scotch and i'd like to get them a gift that yeah. one that one checks so many boxes mm. and, and and you just mentioned the 17 a, a second ago and, and i i've always referenced the 12 year old double oh, it. It okay. was the 12 year old that was at 35 yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to make it, because I know the 17 is now, Yeah. Wee Double- high, you know, there's triple digits involved <laughs> yes, in but the it's 17 worth it. now. Uh. <laughs>
2: yeah. No, you know, I had a call uh, last week with a creative agency out of London, and um, they've done creative work for uh, William and sons and all their portfolio. Um, and they've also done some stuff for American mm-hmm. whiskey clients, you know, American whiskey brands and some other things. And I essentially begged the man on the phone. I was just like, look, I really want to work with you and I will work for Balvin. I will just, just, you don't have to send me a check. You don't have to put me on the payroll. Just send me all these list, like I had a whole list. I was like, just send me these bottles, and you- I'll work for you for free. Oh
0: we'll work for whiskey, love it.
2: We'll work for whiskey, for American whiskey, for bourbon. No, pay me. But <laughs> for scotch, we can negotiate.
1: <laughs> well, well, actually, on on the subject of work, and and I know you've got irons in in many fires and many projects and I know you are crazy busy trying to schedule you for this yeah. uh, interview gosh we covered a lot of dates yes. and I'm so glad we <laughs> got to sit works. down with you Yeah, yes. thoroughly enjoyed meeting you and having the conversation
3: absolutely
1: and and the, the closing question for you is Looking forward, looking into the future, I know you've talked about things you'd like to see from brands and Mm -hmm. and how we speak to people and how we become inclusive. What are you most excited about as you look into your own future, your your professional life ahead, which may very well incorporate brands, but what has you jumping out of bed in the morning, aside from your kids, (laughs) uh, of course. (laughs) Uh, Professionally, what are you most excited about looking into the future?
2: Oh, wow. Um, this is a loaded question for me. I am, (laughs) I'm looking to see what is next for black bourbon society. And again, you know, earlier in the, in our conversation, I said that, you know, I feel like we've proven the point that the African-American demographic is there. We know the data behind Mm -hmm. it. And, you know, we know we've, we've claimed our value in the industry, in the space. Um, So I'm looking to see what's next with Black Bourbon Society. Um, We've always been twofold. We've always been this membership organization. But again, we've always been sort of this agency that really works with the brands on how to connect with these audiences. I'm Mm. ready to pivot more into the agency world and just Mm. solely focus with the brands on... Um, how to genuinely connect with diverse audiences and that, not just Black audiences, right? But truly all diverse audiences mm-hmm. and really continuing to be that, um, that resource for brands to use to, to get their marketing messages out to diverse audiences. So we'll, we're in the next year, right? Because we, we, we turn six in May next month. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll really be focusing on transitioning more into an agency, And we'll let the membership continue to grow and be organic. Um, But for me personally, I'm going to be pushing more towards the agency side. Um, And I'm going to build it up as much as I possibly, possibly can. And Mm. select a successor (laughs) to take it on to another level that I can't take it any further to. Gotcha. Um, So I'm ready to, I'm already thinking about what it means to grow and exit and transition into um, something else. I have some personal projects that I really want to focus on continuing to use my voice, my personal story um, to motivate others, especially black women, to Mm -hmm. really step into their power, to find that divine alignment, um, their own assignments, and to help give them the tools that they need to know to become their own bosses and their own leaders of their own movements so mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. really what i want to be my legacy project um and we'll build this up as much as we can and then i'll go off into the sunset and work on something else
1: <laughs> <laughs> well well please know you've got friends in us uh, and Thank you. you know please come back on the podcast keep Uh, us abreast of the developing story as well and what you're seeing and hearing and learning and and empowering along the way thank you um we definitely want to be speaking to you more as the the months become years as well
2: absolutely guys this was so fun thank you for having me yeah awesome
1: it's a pleasure Uh, brilliant spending time with you
0: samara thank you so much (laughs) thank you Samara, thanks again so much for for taking the time to meet with us. There was a lot Jason that I learned in this conversation and and I would say all of it positive. There was one comment that Samara made um which which struck me and and has sat with me for well since we've since we had our conversation and hasn't sat with me easily. And there was a comment where she said, I think it was towards the end of the conversation, where she was talking about you know, the the African-American community, the people of color community, where she says, we, we've proven ourselves as consumers.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just
0: the idea that a certain community of people has to prove themselves in any yeah. way, shape, or form I think is a really sad statement, or it makes me sad um and even more sad that it came out her mouth in such a in an easy manner that it was mm-hmm. just this is a matter of fact, and sadly it is a matter of fact but it's re- it sat with me for a while, and it's something that I think is is i don't know i'm still I'm still trying to create words around this and how I feel about it but I'm still, still ruminating on that one.
1: Yeah, yeah. An aspect that resonated for me is the sense of you're a woman, you like fruity flavors. Mm. Mm -hmm. You're African American, you like sweeter flavors. Yeah. Could you imagine if someone came up to me and said, you know, you're a a white dude in Virginia from Scotland, you like X? I'd oh, be like, yeah. go fuck yourself. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I like all the things. I'm willing to explore all the things. It's it's always that willingness to put a palette in a box. Mm-hmm. And and for me of the of the 10 years of traveling around with single cast nation, meeting the number of women who love Heavily peated whiskeys, <laughs> uh-huh. and 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 the mistake is to say, "Oh, that's surprising!" Like because the because the reality is, of
0: course you do. Yeah, <laughs> of course you absolutely fucking. do. You're a do. human like, who has a tongue and enjoys flavors. <laughs> like, maybe you like these ones. Maybe you don't like these ones.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that and that was. That was another part in, in talking to Samara, where we're saying, you know, what about when people get a little uncomfortable and they're like, oh, you know, you're you're an African American woman, you know, oh, why are we trying to put politics into into enjoying whiskey? And she's like, the color of my skin isn't political, right? Just yeah, like you said yeah. a second ago, you have a tongue, you like flavors, yeah. like boom, end of story. And and I love the simplicity. You talk about something that that sat with you. I enjoyed the simplicity of her answer mm. where she didn't dress it up. She didn't let us or anyone else off the hook with more words. She just said, the, the color of my skin isn't political. Yeah. Yep. And left it. <laughs> like, Yep. I
0: I heard that loud and clear. I, I thought that was very, very well said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a pleasure. and And I hope Jason that she takes us up on the invite to Virginia and the invite to Connecticut mm-hmm. and, and, you know, maybe we can come down to Atlanta and have
2: mm-hmm. some drinks
0: with her. She was just a lot of fun. I could have sat and talked with her for, for another hour or more easily, easily. Well, and and again, just like we, we said
1: both on wax and, and off wax when we would hit stop on the recording, like she's going to be back on the podcast. Oh, yeah. That was that was the first foray into this. There will be future. How are things looking? How's your work going? How's diversity distilled doing? Like mm-hmm. there's there's a lot to follow up there as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm excited to see how things go for Samara over the next year and the things she was talking about, being excited yeah. for looking into the future. Yep, same. <laughs>
0: Share what really is a small bit of news, not not enough to wake the paper boy, but serious enough news to share. <laughs> I don't know if you did this purposefully or not. Mm-hmm. But this... If it's good I did. If it's bad I didn't. <laughs> but this episode goes live May the fourth, and you were talking about Star Wars action figures.
1: Like that perfect. is the most tenuous of tenuous links. <laughs> Jason says Star Wars early on this episode. May the fourth. Woohoo!
0: <laughs> hey, if I can fit it in, I will. I got that square peg into a round hole. Even if so, you have to use your thumb. I'm gonna start a new band called Tenuous D.
1: <laughs> tenuous D?
0: Yeah, instead of tenacious D, Tenuous D. Oh, interesting. See? interesting. see, Yeah, that's terrible. Is that the
1: response a band name should get? Oh, interesting. Let's sit <laughs> yeah. this for
0: a moment. <laughs> huh, Is that the response what's, you were going for? What's that over there? Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Things I see. What you did there. <laughs> oh, so, so the bit of news, and and yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to wake the paper boy because you've heard his voice before. He gets shouty. <laughs> and he carries newspapers, and I don't want him to treat us like some people treat their dogs and roll up the newspaper, and, and we get a bop on the nose. Um, but just just yesterday, the day before we sat to record, we received an update that yay, all of our all of our whiskey from our Kentucky uh, bottling hall has been picked up. Woohoo! And 10 minutes later, we received a report that some of it has been smashed or potentially lost, or we don't know because it's some computer-automated damage report. And it's about eight pallets worth of product that we don't know what's going on just yet. No, we don't. So you know it, it's fun it's funny' I'll, I'll, I'll say this really quickly. I know you have something to say, but but this has been bugging me for a while. Months and months ago, when we submitted our wild turkey labels to the TTB, the people who like to troll the TTB and and spoil surprises for people posted our labels up and so we had to share it with people saying yes, it's true. We bottled a (laughs) 12-year-old wild turkey. We bottled a nine-year-old wild turkey. And that was sometime in January or February, right? Yeah, it was label approval time a long time ago. And here we are in May. And since then, people over and over again saying... What's going on with these? You've teased (laughs) us. What's happening? Why are you teasing us? Well, we never wanted to tease you in the first place. Someone ruined our surprise, so now we have to make up for it. And the fact of the matter is, this is why we don't like to share too much news too early because of shit like this that happens. Think back to our Westlands, right, where the, the, the Westland totes had been picked up and then lost for five weeks, six weeks, something like that. We thought we'd lost the liquid entirely. And we just had to kick that can down the road and tell people, and, and it's shit happens, and we'd rather keep it things quiet until we have to share.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, and talking about the release of the Virginia Distillery Company, and that was pending, and now that's delayed. Mm-hmm. And then our... <laughs> are backwoods just again <laughs> a day or two ago before this recording we got told oh yeah that's now may 5th may 6th like i feel at this point people are just emailing us to say here's a number that's two weeks from now maybe you'll have some bottles by then probably won't but there's a date for you so we're, we're now running Almost eight week delay, and that's it. Just waiting on a spot to come into port. It did the long haul from Australia, now it's yeah. just waiting to come into port. So
0: yeah, and then yeah, I, I, go it, on. It, it just really quickly. I, I and, heard, then. <laughs> and then and then <laughs> well, and it, then and <laughs> then I heard recently, and by recently I mean yesterday, uh, <sighs> that now thing once things hit port. It's typically three weeks before it's released from port. Right? So keep that in mind.
1: Right? Remember keep back that in the night intro night. where we only yeah. talked about good news, Joshua? This is, you just piled some more shit on my shit sandwich.
0: <laughs> you need
1: some shit on your shit? I'll give some shit <laughs> for your yeah. shit. I'll take that with mayonnaise. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll have mine with salad cream. Thank you. <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah, I was, I was thinking
1: about this It's been a tough, tough, tough year And I, I really do mean 12 calendar months It's been tough, tough, tough The easiest thing we did Was our collaboration with Catoctin Creek It was the easiest thing we've done in the last 12 months Like The casks were just up the road from me mm-hmm. I met Scott and Becky, we tasted them We loved them the cask went to their distillery they bottled it i went up and labeled it we shipped it to san francisco without issue and we sold it out via lottery <laughs> more of that please that was absolutely terrific
0: yeah. well it's 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 things like this jason that that shape us and that harden us and that also make us cry so I can't can't get any harder It's just
1: (laughs) I I need it to soften me (laughs) If your whiskey industry Has hardened you for more than four hours Please see a
0: specialist That's a a a jagged blue pill to to swallow there. Um, (laughs) Anyway, 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 anyway. Uh, We don't have have to laugh, haven't you? We have to laugh, laugh, right? Do we have any more news to share? I really want to get to this game that we've... I'm choking on my shit sandwich over here, so I personally
1: don't have any more news, now.
0: So why don't you take us through uh, this little game that we're about to play, courtesy of our friends at Blind Barrels?
1: Yeah, let me give you some background news here. So... Or is it background news? No, I don't think "news" background. is the right word. I've got news on the brain. It's now. background mayonnaise. Yeah, <laughs> let, me, let me give you some some background on this miracle whip. So, so when you and I participated in the judgment of Westland mm-hmm. with Steve Hawley, mm-hmm. who we found out on April one is no longer with Westland. He he put in. Uh, he served his time. He put in a decade. Great, great guy to work with there. Looking forward to see what he does in the future. But when we did the, the judgment of Westland, Steve had talked about at Westland, if not every Friday, as many Fridays as they can, they get the team together mm-hmm. and they blind taste whiskey. Yeah. And and you and I were talking about that and saying, that's a, that's a terrific idea and a terrific thing to do. And it sowed a seed in my brain that I wanted us to do a little bit more of that mm-hmm. in the podcast. Yeah. One of the things we hear from listeners is that they enjoy our tastings. And, and one of the requests we get the most is to do more tasting. And that always seems strange to me to be doing a, a tasting where we're just sitting chatting to <laughs> one another. But, but listeners really love it. So yep. thank you. Thank you for that feedback and for those requests. And I got talking to Sebastian, to Christopher Sebastian, uh, one day over, over text. And, and I was telling him, he was saying, oh, I really loved your Judgment of Westland episode. I was saying, yeah, it's sowing a seed, something I'd, I'd like to do with Joshua more on the podcast. And he says, well, it's funny you say that. Mm. I'm, I'm putting together, I'm working with, uh, I'm developing a, a company here that will be sample packs of Blind Whiskies. Amazing. Yep. <laughs> and I said, well, please keep us in the loop. Let us know if we can help in any way. And a segment was born, <laughs> partly for, for season six. Yeah. We've talked about swapping in and swapping out some different segments. And so we can do some blind. And one of the things I was saying to Seabass was the logistical side of it. Mm-hmm. You know, would would you have a come in and pour something? Would I have Tamara come in and pour something? Yeah, yep. Have them leave a little note that says what they poured? Yep. Would we try to get them to pour the same thing? Like Any time we involve, involve our wives in our whiskey shenanigans, it, it never really goes particularly well. Oh, not, okay. I, yeah, yeah. I would <laughs> have I mean, fucking no interest in coming in she, and doing that. She like,
0: wouldn't, but, <laughs> it, but I think in theory... In theory, I'm it, it should work. In theory, it should work. In practice. Well, it, right? I, tell it works, yeah, mm, I tell you what works.
1: Yeah, I tell you what works much, right. much better. Okay. Is a letter from the Blind Barrels team who have taken care of our logistical Ooh. concerns. Are you going to read this? I am. Okay. So it begins, hey there. That's how you get out of the J&J dilemma. Mm. Thanks for taking the time to walk through some whiskey with us. We know it's hard to find time in your schedules, and we are really glad you're making the sacrifice to drink through some samples. That's a word if I bring it to Tamara. She, she's not interested in <laughs> the sacrifice to drink through some samples. <laughs> As members of the whiskey community, we wanted to give you a behind-the-scenes look at our process in choosing the whiskeys that fill our subscription boxes. We reach out to distilleries doing exciting things in the industry and chat with them about our model. Sometimes they are whiskey producers whose product we have enjoyed in the past. Sometimes we have just heard great things about them. Sometimes it's a place we have never heard of before. Regardless, each distillery sends us some of their bottlings that express what they do well, or something that they are excited about. But the whole point of Blind Barrels is that we don't just go with what we think we'll like or what someone tells us we'll like. We test those preconceptions, we shut our eyes to bias, we avoid any assumptions we might have about the liquid, and we taste those samples blind ourselves, only including those that pass our rigorous standards. Mm. With each box, we aim for diversity in mash bill and proof level. I think proof level means strength.
0: I I, am guessing. I think
1: you're right. Jason being facetious. We're looking for the best of American craft whiskey producers, and we hope you enjoy these offerings. Cheers, the Blind Barrels team, Bobby, Christian, Christopher.
0: I I tell you, just, you know, hats off to Bobby, Christian, and Christopher for, for the most part, spelling whiskey the proper way without the E. Uh, I really... I feel as if they did that specifically for us, and, and I appreciate that. It takes all sorts. So that's the Blind Barrels side of business.
1: We also got a, a personal letter from Seabass himself. And I'm not, I'm not going to read it. Um, he echoes some of the stuff that, that is in the letter that I just read there. But the point I want to make here is Seabass went into his own collection mm-hmm. to send us blind samples that as we make reveals on this podcast, we're not spoiling any surprises mm-hmm. for their subscribers. Yeah. And yep. and whereas Blind Barrels has got a focus on American craft whiskeys, the private stuff from Seabass... All he says is they are different whiskeys, yeah. as in varieties, yeah, locations, says, countries. He says, all greens. I will say
0: about these samples is that they are all whiskeys of various types. So there you go. There you go. There you go. So we we are not being led
1: that this is American craft. We are being led with this is
0: whiskey from the world. Good mm. luck. Yeah, so we have four samples, and with the sample pack came four envelopes, and they are listed sample A, B, C, and D. And and then you open up the package, which, by the way, I've got to say, from a pack, we've talked about this ad nauseum. Uh, We hate packaging and dealing with packaging because we know how much of a nightmare it is, you know, just thinking back to our Great Isle Swim and and all the back and forth to get it to where we wanted it to be, it was just... Good news only, Joshua. Good news only. I'm just saying it was a process and one that we'd rather not deal with, again. (laughs) Was the opposite of good news. (laughs) But then, you you, you know, you you have this nice presentation with a little magnetized lid. I don't know if people can Mm -hmm. hear this, but there's there's the magnet, and you open it up, and you're uh, presented with the Blind Barrels logo, a little monkey with a S&M top hat. I assume that's an S&M top hat, and sunglasses, and then four little samples sitting there with you. It's like a corset on his head with a top hat kind of thing. <laughs> Just, I'm just letting you out of words. I just like giving you some rope. <laughs> but 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 <laughs> I wanted so crazy, to. Ta- man. I wanted to take charge here because when it comes to games like this, you've always you've always had the steering wheel. It always is
1: doing some heavy lifting in there. <laughs> three for three, you're batting a thousand. There you go. It's more than once, Jason. You're on a roll.
0: I'm gonna. I'm changing that up. I'm um, on a
1: roll like mayonnaise.
0: <laughs> so what I'm going to do is yes, I'm sir. going to blindly select <laughs> the sample that we will taste together. But and we have got four, you know, these four envelopes which tell you what it is. I'm not going to open the envelope. I'm just going to blindly select which one we will taste. Okay, and then I will do the reveal after I after we taste it. All right, you ready? I don't know if people could hear this. Think people can hear this? Okay, here we go. Pick an envelope, sh- any envelope. Sh- 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 Which one do you um, pick?
1: I will pick the one second from your left. This one? Exactly that one. Okay.
0: Oh, sample A.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, to be well, honest, when you fanned them out, you had all the letters facing Oh, me. did
0: I? No, it's oh, okay. a joke. That no, is okay. a, a joke. Okay. All right. So we've got sample A. <laughs> what a fucking waste
1: of thirty seconds. <laughs> I know it
0: could it could have been like if it were sample B through D that that would have been satisfactory, but no, it was just A in the end.
1: I tell you, I always pick A. I don't know what to tell you. I always pick A, Josh.
0: It's always to the A with you. So <laughs> let's talk about the color really quickly. It's kind of pale in color. It definitely it doesn't have the bourbon color.
1: That is very true. Yeah. If if this was a, an SCN, a potential SCN sample, yeah. what what color would we put in our notes for this?
0: I think we would call this uh, maybe like a, a, a dull gold.
1: So that's interesting that you say that. I would have I would have gone with a
0: maybe with a, a hay bright gold bright no. gold. Well, hold on. Yeah. No, oh, it's not because dull. it's because you're behind it. Uh, that might remove the dullness if I. There we go. <laughs> now I put it by the window. And well, I got harsh real fast.
1: <laughs> 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 oh, I'll just go sit in this corner over here and lick my wounds. I think we both agree that it's a gold, right? Gold, one hundred percent. That's what it would be on an SCN tasting <laughs> note. Gold, because <laughs> we would have fallen out for ten minutes and then said gold.
0: I like the little sample bottles. They're um, they're kind of rectangular, square almost. Actually,
1: it's got a heft
0: to it. Yeah.
1: I I don't know if it was me or or the bottle, but it didn't. Pour as well as I would have anticipated.
0: What would you say this is this is this fifty ml? I think that's fifty ml per per sample there.
1: I would yes. It's tough to tell given yeah.
0: the shape. Yeah. Anyway. Alright. Anyway,
1: see. it's in the glass. All I'm right. swirling. Oh. I'm holding up to the light. I'm looking for legs. I'm checking for ABV.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna
1: give it my little Hand on top, my vigorous shake, see okay. if I can read some bubbles. Okay, okay, so we are definitely looking at something in the 40s.
0: So t- tell people really quickly this, you know, you, you you put your hand over the top of the glass, you shook the glass rigorously, and then you looked at the bubbles. What are you looking at to uh, to, to seek out a potential ABV when you do that?
1: Yeah, so the so the aggressive shake, getting my hand wet, that vigorous, oh, yeah. and then looking for a double ring of bubbles yep. around the, the outside uh, of the liquid, that would tell me we're at 50% alcohol. And then every ring of bubbles inside should be another 2%. Now, I, I did this at a tasting just the other week in Virginia Beach. It's a bit like reading tea leaves. Mm. They don't just form a neat double ring of bubbles and then one ring of bubbles inside and another ring of bubbles inside. Sometimes it'll move in different ways. It'll it'll recede. They'll yeah. completely fall away. Yep. But sometimes you'll just get a little pocket. I would say a little corner, even though the glass is is circular. <laughs> sometimes you'll get a little pocket and you can read the bubbles from that little pocket. It really is something that if you do it, Quite regularly, you yeah. fall into the rhythm of what it looks like. But I've I've had success in in warehouses, um, huh. saying to saying to the person pouring the cask, "Is this, you know, fifty six percent? Is this fifty eight percent? And I can
0: get within a, a degree or two. So it, I did that test, and and I didn't get many bubbles at all. However, I'm getting. No. Looking at the the sides of the glass, I'm getting some seriously thick legs. Agreed. And and when I rubbed my hands together, it took a while for that liquid to start drying up. This this it seems like a, a heavier spirit, albeit not so heavy in alcohol. I, I think you're right. I think it may be in the forties, but definitely
1: not chill filtered.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't think that it is. Um,
1: I've now said definitely twice. <laughs> I'm sure I can kick myself and in, in my own ass uh, at the reveal here. I need to stop saying the word definitely. Definitely, um, <laughs> I should definitely stop that. Yeah, I, I really, I'm glad you bring up the oils because it was, it was part I was going to address as well. Which is from that shake and watching the way it just kind of dissipated, the, the kind of the surface dissipated. I didn't think it was going to be this oily once. It hit the high recesses of the glass. But do you, do you have a grain in mind as you stick your nose in it? Uh,
0: I think it is 100% single malt. I think it's 100% single malt. And and I'm... I'm
1: 100% malted barley
0: in here. I'm, I'm starting to... Well, as I'm smelling this, I have two distilleries popping into mm. my mind mm-hmm. immediately. Now, one of them... I think mm-hmm. would only work if the ABV were in the 50s because this distillery releases a particular style of whiskey maybe once a year, maybe once every other year. Uh, but that is, you know, different from what they normally do, but it's always at cask strength. And if this is in the 40s, there's no way it's cask strength. So,
1: so you're, doing, you're doing what Steve Hawley gave us both into trouble for. <sighs> Wait, like Steve Hawley's not here.
0: This is you and he, me, Jason. He's
1: here. He's here. Jason points at his part? heart. Oh, his He's heart. here. Okay. He's here. <laughs> and so, so that, that's why I wanted to go with what grain
0: do you think? Okay. What cask do you think? All right. So, I would say that this is single malt. I would say that this is likely a uh, a bourbon cask, potentially first fill. Right. There's some good sort of oak spice coming through. There's a there's a big oak presence framing that that pear drop quality, which leads me to believe this is likely something in the mid-teens or younger.
1: It's interesting. At no at no part I could be wrong on that. Has one. my mind gone towards the age of it. And and I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just really intrigued in the fact that you're connecting dots on age. For, for me, I'm still focused on bright nose, fruity nose. You just talked about pear drops. I agree with you 100%. And, and, that,
0: and that's why I'm connecting a bit to the age right? or, mm. or potential age. Or it could be that this is second fill and older, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and therefore, mm-hmm. you know, the, the oak is going to do some different things. I could be wrong. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel as if I'm getting just a smidge of of peat, just a smidge of earthiness mm. coming through. Now it could be barrel char and not mm. and, and and not peat, but it's just ever so subtle. Or, or maybe it's maybe it's a, a bit of sulfuriness in the spirit that's coming through as an earthiness. But there's something. Heavier, you know, underneath that brightness that you were talking about. See, for me, that can sometimes be the grain. It, it
1: can be the malt sweetness oh, okay. that can bring a little bit of heaviness. Sometimes, yeah. depending on the malt, that can bring a little bit of earthiness. But without the without the peat involved, yeah, just yeah. malt itself can can have a weight. God, that, that... Have you tasted it yet?
0: I haven't the the
1: nose is yeah I really, really I'm really lovely. digging the nose it's absolutely a a bourbon maturation style that I really dig yeah
0: so I'm gonna give it a taste all right you give it a taste while I continue to nose it a little bit really- mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> have you come up with a guess already <laughs> no okay <laughs> no but I, but I'm really
1: convinced that we're in the forties across the palate. A little bit of the barrel presence going across the palate there. If at this point you were going to say you got just a hint, hint, hint of peat, this is the place that I would agree with you. Yes. There's something going across the middle of the palate there.
0: You're getting a minerality
1: as well, maybe a dryness. That's taking uh,
0: that form of minerality. Yeah, for for me, it's like um, I don't want to sound like some, you know, pompous. I don't want these notes to sound pompous, but that kind of like, however, however, you know, that that sort of dry beach grass or or like a, hmm. a, a sandy beach, but not at, not at low tide. You're not getting that sort of coastal isla kind. Of, like this doesn't come across as a big isla smasher. But it's, it's that sort of soft, dry grass, you know, sand kind of thing going on. Uh, this
1: is how far down the rabbit hole I am. None of that sounded pretentious. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I feel like it's when Niles talks to Frazier, and neither one of them think they're pompous. <laughs> and clearly they both are.
0: Oh, wait a second. Oh, that's interesting. I'm starting to get some some of this tinned peaches kind of note oh. coming through. Yeah, I'd listen to that,
1: yeah. And it's, it's Yeah, for he- me, there, yeah. Was, there, was, there was licorice all-sort development. Mm. All right. That little bit of fondant. Just a hint of the licorice side of it, much more the fondant side of
0: it. Okay, but not the, not the coconut-y. Not the coconut. No, 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 yeah, no. Yeah. Hmm.
1: <sighs> oh. I, I'm really, I'm really digging. It. I, I've had a distillery in mind from the very beginning. And each step, and this could just simply be confirmation bias mm-hmm. and why I hate blind tasting, but it's fun to do with friends and dear listeners every step of this has reinforced the distillery that I thought it could be ah. and and there's not really a plan B for who I think produced this I'm I'm fully committed to my plan A which is why this is going to be hugely embarrassing at the reveal
0: so I, I'm I'm going to throw some initial assumptions out there I'm, go go- for it. I'm going I'm going I'm going to suggest. That this is from a distillery that doesn't necessarily have its own bottlings. That this is potentially uh, like a like a Gordon McPhail own label or a connoisseur's choice forty percent forty three percent bottling of a mm. lesser known distillery. Those are my initial mm. assumptions. <sighs>
1: My initial assumptions are, from the nose, like you, I was deeply committed to single malt. As I've tasted it and experienced the finish. Interesting. I, if this was also a, a bespoke blend, um, I wouldn't be surprised either. Mm. There's a particular
0: company that I have in mind. (laughs) Yeah, but now now you have me. I remember this one time, Jason, you and I were at Ornmore uh, Uh in in Glasgow, and and I tricked you twice in one day, in one (laughs) night. It was you, me, Murray. This was 2011, Jason. It was you, me, Murray. And we had some, some guests we had taken on a tour. And, mm-hmm. and I had done two tricks. Trick number one was I had the, the, the barman, uh, and, and it was a man, so I'm going to say barman. Uh, I had the barman do a 50-50 of Lagavulin 16-year-old and Laphroaig 18-year-old. And I mm-hmm. made you a and, and you. That would, was
1: Laphroaig 18 in that? Yeah,
0: yeah. That the, oh, ori- wow. the original LaFroy Voulan has LaFarge eighteen, oh, wow. yeah. Oh wow! I did not know that. And then I tricked you with the B N J blend. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which, which is Glen Glen Murray, Glen Morangie, and then a grain. I don't I don't know what the grain is, hmm. and it, it just presents itself as a very fruity, malty, almost Lowland style of whiskey. Do you want to tell the listeners the B N J? Oh shit! Bailey Nickel Jarvey. Thank you. I yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, you've told them. <clears throat>
1: All right, come on then. So let's right. let's like. A, so here's the thing: A, it's delicious. B, yep. I would buy it. C, I would drink it. D, I would share it.
0: Okay. So so here's the thing: You had said you would buy it. Despite what we I think we know to be true, this is either at forty or forty-three percent. You're still gonna buy it? Cause I'm I'm gonna stand by it not
1: being chill filtered. And if it is a blend that has come in at forty three percent from the company that I think it's come in from, then I already buy their stuff at lower ABVs because I believe in them. why are you
0: revealing? What's happened? You're you're fingering an envelope. Yeah, I'm glad you said envelope. So you've made your assumption. Now making my assumption. Yeah. or or a reveal. Tell us what you think. Oh, because you said reveal, so I was about to reveal.
1: No, that's what I was saying. Don't. Don't. Uh, okay. Twenty-five percent. You lost one of the two words. <laughs> so <laughs> if I'd had four words, you would have lost one of them.
0: Three. Um. I think it has a great nose. I think it has a great palate. It's, it's an easy sipper because the ABV mm-hmm. is so low. I'd agree with you mm-hmm. that I think it's non-chill filtered because even though the ABV is low, it, it's still coating your palate a bit. And, and so I like that. Um, I would probably spring for a bottle of this specifically to be something you would share because it's just an all-rounder pleasing whiskey it's got depth to it and and it's and it's fun and and you think it is can I tell you what I thought it was and then change my mind or you just want what just final 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 tell us what you tell us tell us why you changed your mind from where you had been well i'm still vacillating a bit right so when oh, i when i, I can see When I first noticed, when I first nosed it, it almost smelled like unpeated Kalila. It had an austere, bright, (laughs) fruity quality to it. (laughs) If Seabass has sent us an
1: unpeated Kalila, I'm flying to California to, to smack my glove against
0: his cheek. But <laughs> the reason that would be rude. But the reason I know it's not unpeated Kalila is there, this is there's no way this is cast strength, and the unpeated Kalila releases are always cast strength and always beautiful. I would argue. And then I got to thinking, boy, this could be a Klein leash. Because uh-huh. right? It 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 uh-huh. has some of those and even at a lower ABV, right? It has that texture coming through. But it but it doesn't remain waxy. It doesn't remain waxy, right. And so I, I'm with you. The nose oh. had me thinking, could this be and that's Klein-Leish? why you went with that's why you think it's from a particular blender who likes to use Kleinleash as a backbone to many of their blends. But one 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 portion of that yes and then and then finally i've always said to people people mm-hmm. i'm terrible at blind nosing or tasting anything however i can always detect springbank and i can always detect imperial and now I'm thinking, could this be imperial? Like, are there hints of imperial? And when I got that little bit of smoke, I was thinking back. Wait a second, Michael Jackson got the hints of smoke in his 1989, you know, what, what, You know, uh malt whiskey sea companion. Sea sent us a
1: 1980s low ABV smoky
0: imperial. Uh, so right, and so you you can see why I'm I'm vacillating a bit. So, shall we do the reveal? the the action no, sh- no what do we
1: We do? need to commit to guesses. Mother. I haven't Christ. even given you mine.
0: <laughs> All right. I am going. So I Yeah. Oh yeah, go on.
1: Go on. Well, look,
0: yeah, go on. I feel that it is likely uh a Gordon McPhail's connoisseur's choice Klein of some of, of 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 some age probably mid teens and a bit younger at 40 percent interesting
1: interesting so i mentioned earlier the color the nose the barrel type the palette the finish each one supported (laughs) the stage before it and and i thought all the way down i was
0: dealing with aaron so, it, yes, I, I know <laughs> what you're saying there. But, but again, Aaron has a particular bite to it thanks to the 46% and above. Right? Yeah. Right. yeah. So
1: that, that's what then took me out of the single malt world okay. and had me think, this is like Compass Box Great King Street Artist Blend. This is doing all the things that that bottle does for me and sitting here drinking it on a bright spring morning. All all signs for me point to Compass Box uh, Great King Street Artist Blend. So now
0: (sighs) let's see how horrifically wrong we are. (laughs) Here it comes. Oh my gosh! I just had an idea. What if it's a one of those Douglas Lang blended malts? No, but those are forty six percent and above, and I, I just don't think so. So okay, so yeah, we, I, I,
1: we're both deeply committed to this being forty or forty three. Yeah. We, so we, this we, is going to be the first stage where yeah. we see if we've embarrassed ourselves. Oh my god! Oh, we've embarrassed ourselves. Okay. <laughs> Let's see where this goes.
0: Wow. Oh, no. Oh, Oh, my God. Back of the class. So let let me first read the tasting notes. These are, so first off, I'll say this 43%. Well, we can always take that to the bank, Joshua. 100% malted barley. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. And I'm going to read you the official tasting notes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Aroma. Pine sap, basil, green apple, Jolly Ranchers, ocean dune grass, sun-baked beach rock. See what I said about the, the, the sand? Um, on the grass as well. Dried salt, dry hay. Look at that, Jason. All right. Tasting notes. Pine needle, kiwi, pear, green apple, mm-hmm. Jolly Rancher lingers, mm-hmm. fresh on mm-hmm. the palate, mint. Mm-hmm. Hmm, interesting on the mint. I didn't get the mint. Uh, finish, fresh and dry, green tea, light salinity, sud- subtle smoke, cocoa powder, and wintergreen. So, mm-hmm. now now, now this, I think those, <laughs> that is Seabass's personal notes, per, perhaps? I think so. I think so. <clears throat> and then, okay, I, I guess I can't say too much past that, so... Are you, are, be, be, because what, what I'm about to read is going to, to tell you. Oh, actually. It, I think we've. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think we've come far
0: enough. All we right. can do full reveals. Distillery. Hakushu. 12 year old Hakushu. Huh.
1: I Isn't always right? thought of Hakushu being closer to Talisker in its. Kind of peated, peppery profile. You're thinking of the Hakushu
0: heavily peated, which does come <laughs> yeah, indeed, across, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. indeed I am. And so, and so this, is, this, is what, um, this is what they say is our take. With the nation's recent foray into Japanese whiskey, I thought this would be an excellent opportunity for you to take a chance to examine and discuss one of Japanese single malts, one of the Japanese single malts that started it all. Between pauses and availability and discussion of price hikes, this is a delicious bottle that I'm so glad I have on my shelf and showcases the depth of Japanese whiskey when done correctly. Hakushu states that this bottling is a blend of non-peated malts, non-peated malts, Mm -hmm. aged in American oak and sherry casks and then married with peated malts before the entire blend is finished in American oak. Wow, the the sherry DNA in there is long gone. Long gone. Yeah, that that that's yeah it makes you wonder how much sherry maturation, how much of it is likely second fill or refill. But there you go. So we yeah, Japanese single malt. I, my mind did not go there at any point. It it didn't, right? Because I think. And I remember you saying this years ago that that you always had a difficult time wrapping your head around some of the notes mm-hmm. coming from from Japanese single malts, be it from Suntory or, or Nika. Um, and this really, really presented itself as having Scottish lineage. Mm-hmm, 100%. Right? Yeah. 100%. Which, which, again,
1: right, I, I mentioned... Earlier, the tasting that, that I did at Virginia Beach the other the other week. And somebody in there had said, what's your take on Japanese whiskey? <laughs> and I said, I absolutely love it. Adore it. I love what they've achieved. I love what they've done. I love the fact that they put it right up Scotland yeah. and said, look what we've advanced over here. How are things going for you in Scotland? Yeah, how are you guys doing? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. And and I feel like Scotland upped its game in response Mm -hmm. to the quality product coming out of Japan. Mm -hmm. And so to sit here with a Japanese single malt and never once think about the island of Japan, like, yeah, (laughs) got to open our minds, right? Got to
0: expand that base. What what a nice you know just thinking that Seabass shared this from his his mm-hmm. own collection what what a nice thing for him to do so you know thank you obviously to to the folks at Blind Barrels but more specifically to to Seabass for sharing some whiskeys from his own collection hundred um, percent yeah one hundred percent yeah I'm looking forward to tasting samples B through D with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. Cheers to Seabass. That was
1: a great way to kick this off. And as you say, Joshua, if that was sample A, randomly chosen, I'm curious to see what's in B, C, and D. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, before we circle back to those in a future episode, if you'd like to learn more about Blind Barrels, as we're tasting uh, selections by their chief selector, you can visit them at blindbarrels.com.
0: Oh, that's nice and easy. Yes, it is. <laughs> Jason, before we get out of here, um, as you know, we, we've petitioned our listeners. We said <laughs> to them, <laughs> we said to them, Friends, countrymen. What's the other one? It's uh, friends, Romans, countrymen. Why is it the Romans? Where does that come from? (laughs) Why is any of this happening? I don't know. (laughs) we've (laughs) We've petitioned our listeners. We said, look... We, we want to get into more ears, if we can, and we would like your help. Mm-hmm. And one of the easiest ways to get into more ears is to get more reviews on Apple Podcasts. That way, Apple Podcasts says, ooh, this seems to be a very popular podcast. Let me suggest it to other people. So to get popular, we need more reviews, more five-star reviews, blah, blah, blah. And since we've asked people of that, we've gotten a few more uh, five-star reviews and two comments thus far have come in. And I think there may be a third one on its way. This is me asking our listeners to send more. Please go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review. Four if you're feeling cheeky. If it's three or below, just, you know, call me, you know, call us, email us, and we'll have a conversation. But we got two in... A- <laughs> we'll have a conversation. We'll, we will have we'll a conversation. We'll send someone around to your house to have a conversation. <laughs> Uh, So I'm going to read the first one that came in uh, since we petitioned our listeners. Five-star review. And this is from... I like how
1: you're using the word petitioned instead of begged. I quite like this. It's it's classy. Classing it up.
0: You're welcome. So this one is from someone named Cotton Ma. Five stars. And and the the title says, long listener, first-time reviewer. Yippee! says, Joshua and Jason put out the best whiskey podcast and the best with an industry perspective. They're pretty funny, too, especially if you like Lord of the Rings jokes. I heartily endorse (laughs) this product and or event. (laughs) And or event. Um, Now, we did receive a second one but I'm not going to read that until the next episode. I'm going to dangle Yippee. that carrot.
3: Woo-hoo. And
0: I want people to know that, hey, if you do write a review, we will call out your name. We will read your words, um, but only if they're the good reviews. We only want the good reviews. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I listened to Mike
1: Barbiglia's podcast called Working It Out. Mm. He's absolutely one of my favorite. Uh, comedians, Same. absolute favourites and, and at the end of his podcast He's always saying, you know Go and review and help us get the word out And he always, tells, he always says Tell your friends Tell your enemies <laughs> And I just love <laughs> I love the thought of telling your enemies About a podcast that you listen to It just always sticks in my head So, so today, yeah if, if you're helping us get the word out Tell your friends, tell your enemies
0: Because you know what? you may find you like something in common and maybe your enemies will become friends. Look at that, Jason. How wonderful would that be? Oh, I would love it. So, Jason, I thank you for your time. Samara, again, thank you you so much for your time. 100%. Lovely speaking with you. Yep. And, And then finally, not just to our listeners, but also to our friends at Blind Barrels, we thank you. We thank you for the samples. We thank our listeners for listening. And Jason, I like what you've said. You've been saying this really since the beginning of the the war in Ukraine. You've been closing rather rather than with two chins, rather than with cheers, you've been closing simply with peace. And so therefore I say peace. Two pieces. Oh, two pieces. Oh, my God. Oh, Jason, stop. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it.